Welcome to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. Join attorneys James Moore, Kevin Littlejohn, and Misty Blagg as they explore law, technology, and persuasive arguments. Sit back, relax, and listen to your zealous advocates. Welcome back to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. I'm healthcare attorney Misty Blagg here with my co-host, Kevin Littlejohn, and back in the studio today is James Moore. Great to be back, Misty. We are so glad to have you back. Good to have you back, James. I I guess, you know, I'm the only one that's been in the studio for every episode oh now, so God. I must Here be goes again. sort of the <laughs> the guiding light, so to speak, on this podcast right now. Well, Kevin, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I want to address the elephant in the room really quick. I had an opportunity <laughs> to look back at the last podcast with Mr. Ben David and awkward the the comments that, that you both had to say about me <laughs> when Mr. Harvey We were just trying to make Tom feel was good. stepping in for me. I was shocked. And to say I'm not mad, I'm just I'm I'm just disappointed oh. in the fact that you contend that was an was interview a, process. But that's okay. All dramatic. Me. It was all dramatic. I digress. Let's keep going. Well, we'll keep going. We are thrilled to have founding partner here with us today, Gary Shipman. <laughs> Potted plant. <laughs> <laughs> and to give him a proper e- introduction, I'm going to kick it kick it over to Kevin. And. And I, I think this is only right because Mr. Shipman did, in fact, introduce me to the state or to the North Carolina and the county bar when I was initiated into the practice of law a little over two years ago. And so it is with great pleasure I get a chance to introduce Mr. Gary K. Shipman. He is a 1977 graduate of the University of North Carolina at Wilmington, ultimately matriculating to none other than the Norman Adrian Wiggins School of Law, Campbell University, where he uh, received his Juris Doctor, and then he ultimately began practicing here uh, in the New Hanover County area. And soon thereafter, passing the bar, he took the monumental leap of establishing and founding his own firm. Over the course of his illustrious career, he's been trusted by, and he'll say this on the phone to thousands, I've been trusted with cases from all over the United States on a variety of subject matters. Uh, He's had the privilege of arguing not only in the trial court level, the court of appeals level, but the Supreme Court in the state of North Carolina. And as if that would not be enough, he somehow has still found the the time to serve as an NFL contract advisor and sports agent, uh, a certified NCAA basketball agent, as well as an NBA agent as well. And I think He's got his toes in lacrosse now, if I understand correctly. So we've got a well-rounded guest here today who's got a broad spectrum of experience on how to advocate in various arenas. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And, and I will say this. I, I hope we can be loving, <laughs> cordial, <laughs> be kind. Well, 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 look. I am the only reason you have any degree of humility at all. As everyone around this table fully understands. Now, I will say at the outset, though, that my bride of soon to be 32 years commanded and demanded that I be nice to Kevin. (laughs) Kevin! And so I will will do, especially given those comments all of which were true um <laughs> that you made i will do my best to be civil fair 
That's all. That's I, all we need. I think that's about <laughs> as large a commitment as I can make for today. <laughs> well, Gary, you have had a long career in the law, and one of the things that that I really enjoy, you know, seeing in you and trying to model in my behavior is you are you are excited to come to the office every day, and with as much attorney burnout as you've seen, you know, here lately, how to how do you maintain that excitement and that zest for practicing law? It's actually pretty simple because at a young age I wanted to do something that people trusted me to do right that would motivate me to try to be as good as I could be every day now I narrowed the scope of what those things I thought would do that being a teacher and a coach was one of those things, mm-hmm. right? Because teachers and coaches had great influence over my life, and I knew the gratification they felt from doing things with four students. Now, because I grew up in a household that was around lawyers, my father was in law enforcement, and then he was a private investigator, and I grew up around lawyers in Raleigh. I watched Perry Mason on TV, uh, and I saw at any given moment the kind of influence and the kind of trust right. that is placed in lawyers every day. Um, and I, you know, I, I take that seriously. When I took my oath, first oath. Like that, where put your hand on the Bible and right. serious, you, know, you serious swear, stuff. yeah, mm-hmm. solemnly swear. Right. Mm-hmm. I took that seriously, and I still take it seriously. Sometimes some people would say too seriously, but it's what gets me up at five thirty ish, and I work out for an hour, hour and a half, and then you know I'm reading, and then I'm in here, and I'm doing as much as I can do every day. And he knows it because he makes fun of me. (laughs) Uh, I've told him, tell you, every day, as stupid as this sounds, every day when I leave here, I say, am I a better lawyer today than I was yesterday? More times than not, I can answer that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I can't. Because I've had to deal with him, <laughs> or I've had to deal with <laughs> distractions. The 50,000 other things well, you're dealing right. with. Well, you know, we're, 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 you know, but I literally try to come in here every day and be a better lawyer today than I was yesterday. And I think that simple formula is what makes it exciting for me. And if properly motivated what makes it exciting for lawyers to work around me because I never ask anybody to do anything that I've not done or not doing myself. That is mm-hmm. very true. Okay. I have no pecking order uh, other than my wife. You know, that, that, that pecking order. <laughs> That's a good one. Mr. Moore That's knows. a good statutory. Out of full disclosure, <laughs> Mr. Moore is, uh, is my nephew and you know, he's known her as long as I had. Um, but other than that, there's no pecking order here because 
why would I dare ask somebody to do something that I haven't done or not willing to do or not doing myself? Why? That's right. There are things that I'm better at that others are better at. So I got things that I've got to do that I that I may ask others to do, but it's not because I'm not willing to do it myself. Well, that brings about how do you manage to balance giving the attorney, a, the younger attorney, the early career attorney, enough space to spread their wings yet still fulfilling your ethical obligations to supervise? That's a difficult balance there. Because I lead by example yep. and not by mandate. Uh, I, again, I've had to bark at him, not to pick on him. I've had to bark at him. Mm-hmm. But I lead by example. So I supervise by doing. Mm-hmm. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think modeling and then, is and then huge. And then people watch, you know, mm-hmm. what does he do? How's he doing it? How's he writing? Right? How is he arguing, attacking this thing? And let me see if I can do it that way, right? And let me see, because this guy's going to give me a lot of responsibility. Right. He's going to give me a lot of responsibility. Let me see if I can take advantage of that opportunity. Some can, some can't. That's true. Right. And, yeah. and, 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 and uh, but here, you got to be willing to take on a lot of responsibility if you're going to hang out with me. I think that's true. Now, James, you've started supervising um, as an attorney. You know, what kinds of things do you have? You know, your style, how do you like to be that mentor? Kevin's talked about that before, that that you're a mentor to him. Uh, That's a big job. (laughs) (laughs) That that is a big job. I mean, first, you know, Gary's obviously extremely busy. So I try to ultimately take a little bit of that load off him where if it is an extremely complex issue that we need to get him involved sure we're going to go knock on his door we're going to get him involved but if we can figure it out ourselves without getting him involved because he's so busy i try to take that off his shoulders but first it's always conform to the rules of professional conduct i mean that's the first thing make sure all the young attorneys are doing what they're supposed to you have an obligation as a supervising attorney you have ethical obligation to ensure they're doing it right but outside of that i mean one of my biggest thing is is mental health we all know yeah you know the, the suicide rates for lawyers in general but when you come into this practice you can be overwhelmed really quick so just checking on people, making sure they're doing okay, but also giving them, them the confidence to allow them to be the best that they can be. Kind of back to Gary's point, I've got a I've got a picture of Gary on my wall that underneath it says, be all you can be. Because when he says that, he truly means it. Every time he walks in that door, that's what he's trying to do that day to be the best that he can be. So, I mean, that's just a little bit of how I, how I approach it. Yeah. Kevin, what do you like in a, you know, in a supervising attorney? What makes you grow as an attorney? Whew. Well, it depends on the moment, but I think my best. <laughs> <laughs> fair. Completely fair. Well, I grew up in a, my father was, you know, very hard on us. Yep. You know, I mean, he def- certainly loved us. You know what I mean? He told us he loved us. I grew up playing sports where I had coaches that coached hard, strength and conditioning coaches that worked you out hard. So I just I like to have someone who's I'm not like a oh man that was a, that was a great job you know I, I think that's <laughs> right yeah some people need that but I'm more yeah. of like a like I need somebody to you Break know that, that's ready to you know 
put a fire under me in sort of a yeah. attacking kind of way because it that's what motivates me and inspires me. It's almost like a good coach, you know what I mean? And so I, I can appreciate and, and Mr. Shipman tell you all the times that he's had this lit a fire under me that those are the, the moments that make you, I think, at least someone like me grow the most because it's a it's a it's an interesting scenario when you're a young attorney because you're making mistakes, but you can't have too much pride to think that you can't make any. Right. And you're so human. You, you've got to be able to receive constructive criticism, but also be able to take that and quickly apply it and not let it happen again. And to let it go, to let right. it go. And to let it go. Cause I think, I mean, and you know, I came into my interviews with Mr. Shipman and James. I mean, from our first interview, I, I knew that they would be invested in my development as an attorney. And so I think great supervisors give you that impression that, Hey, they're only, if they're saying something to me or something that I think is offensive, it isn't, meant to hurt you or isn't it meant to impede you from growing it's, it's really them showing you how much they really care because if this were done again or done in another scenario you could be on the line for your license so yeah. i think good supervisors make their you know understudies really know it's all coming from a place of care and love yeah know? and i really like the the open door policy um that we have here in our firm because i haven't had that necessarily in the past where i feel like if i have a question i can go find somebody in the office that's got a few minutes to talk through it with me that i just find that invaluable for them to just listen where my mind is and say well no we need to think about it this way mm-hmm. um you know and you can have so many mentors too like yesterday i ran into an issue that's really healthcare focused and you know i'm the only healthcare attorney here. So through my, you know, leadership at the American Bar Association, the health law section, I had some people to contact. So I reached out to Bill Hopkins, who's going to be a guest. And he took that 10 minutes in his busy day to talk through that issue with me. Um, And I just really appreciated it. Well, one of the things that I am fond of saying about sins let your sins be of commission and not omission, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because if it is a sin of commission, we can probably fix it. True. Sins of omission it may cost you your law license. It may get mm-hmm. you sued. So, yes, there are reins. The rules of professional responsibility uh, place those reins on us, but be a zealous advocate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Within the bounds of the law, we'll fix it. If you were too zealous, we'll fix it, unless some of our friends on the other side um, are offended by <laughs> our zealous advocacy. <laughs> well, one of the things I hey, like— Do we get to, like, drop names on here? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I wouldn't do I that. I would not drop other uh, side names on right, here. Well, you're— you, you're lucky they I know. can't drop you. <laughs> you probably they, know who you are. They All right. <laughs> I, I, I want to say this about Gary, too, when it comes to supervising attorneys, that, that, that when you do make a mistake, he is like a quarterback where he's the leader of the bunch, and he's going to get behind you. He's going to take a, accountability, responsibility for whatever happened, even if it was me or Kevin or you that actually made the mistake. He's going to be the first one to jump up. He's got our back. And he's, you know, times of trouble, especially in front of a judge. Yeah. I love him being beside me. <laughs> Absolutely. Be, because I've, I've seen it happen where, you know, but for Gary being there, there's no telling what would have happened to, you know, another lawyer at this firm or, or whatever, even a client where he's like, judge, you're not going to do that. So I, I appreciate that, too, as a as a supervisor. Yeah. 
Well, one thing that I like what you said before, too, is is self-talk and how important that is. You talked about on your way home. Yeah, am, I be- am I a better lawyer today? And, and I took that when I talked to you the first time. I think you said that. And I really took that to heart. And one of the things that I say to myself on the on the way home, you know, what did I do good today? What can I improve on today? Mm. And, and I've really seen myself grow in the practice of law since I started doing that. Mm-hmm. Kevin, do you have any positive self-talk that you exhibit? Um, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I think. How do you talk yourself down? Because, you know, you're naturally confident. Oh. <laughs> well, if she walks to the end of the hall. Yeah, I walk to the end of the hall. And then just looks in my <laughs> office and goes, okay, nah, that was a dumb idea. I mean, I, 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 I largely, I mean, from a, I don't know, Missy, if I ever really talk myself up. I mean, I wake up and. I, you have self-talk all the time. I do. I, I, I do. Well, I read and talk to myself, but I, I really don't, you know. I try not to get too high or too low on anything that I okay. do because I know how quickly it can all change for the better or change for the worse. And so my day, I mean, and I guess I'll, I'll give this example. I had a really traumatic <laughs> couple of experiences when I first started practicing. Um, and I was like, after these, <laughs> I remember too. I called Mr. Shipman like nine o'clock at the night one time with an issue. And I, I just thought like, I couldn't sleep for like two or three days until it was getting resolved. And it was it was something that I'd messed up, and I tell myself at that point forward, you know what I mean? If you can survive this feeling this day, and what you thought you know was on the line, then you don't need to get too stressed over too much. You know that's beyond your control if you do everything that you're supposed to do correctly. So I don't really get into the t- self talk. I enjoy you know me and James in the morning, you know, talking about cases in the gym, and you know talking about how we're feeling about things. But other than that, you know. I, I just try to put my head down and go to work because I, you know, I, I'm not there yet. I don't think I'm not exhausted from the practice of law yet. Do you have, you know, when you're walking in that courtroom, right, is there any oh. kind of talk that's going on? Oh, if I'm in the walking in the courtroom, I got that I Michael mean, Jackson. He's oh, bad. Well, yeah, yeah. I know you're asking me about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, go, go ahead. Well, if I'm walking in the courtroom, Missy, I mean, it's to me. I can't lose. I can't lose. The moment I put the suit on, I got a pocket square and I put my watch yeah. on. It's like yeah. everything I'm adding on to the outfit is creating some confidence in me. Then as I'm walking in, I'm, I'm just repeating these little one or two liners that I've created in my yeah. mind that I think the judge will really hang on. Then I see my opponent and I know that he hasn't thought about me as much as I thought about him. <laughs> And I've thought about what I'm going to argue. And I just I just get excited because we're competing now. You know, it's, it's, it's mono and mono. We're now competing. I think great lawyers are competitors at their heart. I do, too. And so you're in there now. You're in the arena. You're competing. And that's what really gets, you know, my chili hot, so to speak, when, when we're getting ready to argue something is the competition. Yeah, it's game time. I mean, yeah. I yeah. we're all, all of us were former athletes at, to some extent. So when you walk in the courtroom, to me, it's game time. Um, all the preparation, the practice, this, this is what you've, this is what you've done it for. So, you know, you have a sense of nervousness initially, but once you start talking, I mean, it's it like, okay, away. James, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, you have been to trial so many times. You are such an experienced trial attorney. How about you? How are you different at, you know, where you are in your practice now versus maybe 15 years ago? None. Mm. None. And here's what I mean by that. Okay. Whether it is a motion argument, whether it is a trial with however many witnesses, I write down Mm -hmm. everything that I want to come out of my mouth in court. In the old days, I did that by hand, 
right? Mm-hmm. With yellow pads. I mean, an entire trial pack of yellow pads. Mm. First pick Oof. right now. Um, because whether it is a hearing on a motion, whether it is a trial, I'm there to tell the story. Mm. And most stories aren't written extemporaneously. Right, yeah. their editors involved. Right, right. There, there, there's the consuming public involved, and so I am trying to focus what comes out of my mouth based on who the listener is, and I've got to be focused about that. I can't be. Yeah, I am. I'm think I'm really good being extemporaneous, but staying on message, the message that I have created. Allows me to be more extemporaneous, especially when something stupid comes out of the other side's mouth. Right. Okay. That's not the story. Here's our story. Okay. And so uh, that's been the key. It's not easy. It's not easy. I mean, it's not when I go to have a 45 minute motion hearing, is that easy? No, it's not easy. Because I'm dealing with a judge that's likely to be cold mm-hmm. right. on everything. Um, more times than not, we're going first. Sometimes we're going second because someone's trying to have our complaint dismissed. I want them, the judge, to believe I'm the most knowledgeable person in that courtroom about the subject matter that we're here to talk about. I want them to know from the printed word that they've already hopefully received and had a chance to look at that everything that just came out of my mouth is completely consistent with everything I've written. Important, yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because the great judges will understand, whoa, 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 what? Why am I hearing this for the first well, time? Well, you're right. Yeah. Or, eh, that's not, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Credibility is everything. So, yep. Consistency of message equals credibility. Work, effort equals results. One of the things that I think we're pretty good at is our work product. And I think with some of the results that we have gotten in motions where it looked really awful going in, but our effort produced a result that enabled us to live another day. Right. So again, there's uh, preparation is just, I mean, it's there's everything. nothing, there's just, there's nothing ma- there. I don't think there's anything magical about it. That's just me. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything magical about it. It's a, it's a necessity because someone has trusted me with this problem. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And I owe it everything. And, 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 um, you know, so I, I don't, I don't find that my formula is that complex. Well, James, I know Gary has emphasized this and I think this is absolutely true. We have to be a master of the facts in the case. Like we have to know the facts and, you know, we're going to talk about mass torts cases here coming up soon and, and the research in the case. Like, what's your first step when you're preparing to get the facts, you know, in your head? I'm a charting person. Um, I know I don't think you guys are. You've talked about it. Is there any technique you have? 
I, I just like writing them down. I mean, the more I write stuff, the the more I, you know, I'm, I'm able to easily recall what I actually wrote down. If I'm just reading something, yes, it helps. I get an idea of what the facts are. But until I specifically write them down, I'm, I could go all over the place. Are you a handwriting person? Like Gary was talking, now you, you type. Uh, look, you're, you're nice. the best course, listeners, mm-hmm. high school kids, the best course I ever took in my life was typing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Everybody should take it. Period. End yes. of subject. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, I type a lot quicker than I write. To James's question, I want everything about the matter we're looking at in chronological order. I want to start at the beginning. I like that, too. Mm-hmm. And I want to add, you know, as we mm-hmm. get more stuff, I want to add it back into the timeline because then... When we're getting ready to tell the story, we're like every other storyteller. We start at the beginning, and we go to the end, right? Mm -hmm. And so, especially in the complex cases that we have dealt with, with bazillions of pages of documents, let's put them in order. That's not how they were produced. They were produced like a rat's nest so that <laughs> we couldn't true. put them in order. They don't yeah. do you any favors there. But, 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 but no, 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 no. But we're going to put them in order. Mm-hmm. And we're going to tell the story or we're going to know the story that we have to tell based on the documents that we've got. And then we're going to fill in with what we need. Because you can tell when you put things in order whether gaps. All right, well, who... Who can help fill in those gaps? Let's drop a subpoena on that third party who can help fill in the gaps. Or our own client has likely got some documents that we don't have that can fill in those blanks, right? Right. And even with medical records now, you have to really be careful and go through and make sure that they have produced all of the medical records. That's a huge issue right now. Yeah, sure. Well, EMRs have been a blessing and a curse. Uh, And the maintenance of EMRs Mm -hmm. have been a a blessing and a curse especially when you get them. Yeah, it's very difficult. That's a that's a constant struggle. You know, Gary, one, one of the things I like about this firm is we're a smaller firm. I think we are well leveraged to serve our clients well at a, at a good, you know, cost to the client. What are the advantages in your eyes of choosing a smaller firm to represent you? Um, I don't have a big old ivory tower of six floors that I've got to pay for in Charlotte, Raleigh, D.C., Atlanta, Miami, Dallas, and I'll go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Next, small firms are forced to think quickly and think efficiently Mm -hmm. because we don't have the benefit of, I'll just take a day or two or three and think about that, and meanwhile, I'll bill my client for that. No, because I got other people depending on me. You need an answer to this question right now. You don't need it three days from now. And I got other people that need answers to questions. Uh, So we're quick. We're versatile. I like versatile. That's right. That's true. And, 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 And me personally, it's just rarely anybody's going to ask me a question about that. I either haven't had experience with the answer or I don't know how to go find it. Right. And that's true. big firms, like, we'll just have to look into that and write a we'll, memo about right, it. Right. We'll <clears throat> get back to you and we'll assemble a cast of thousands and we'll have all this brain power on it. And a month from now, you'll have an answer. Uh-uh. 
Yeah. We can't, we can't do that. We don't have that luxury. And our clients expect because I want, and he knows this, when our clients get a bill, I want them to go, hmm, hmm, hmm. Right? That, yeah. that that relative to what they got, because they know what they got, because we keep them informed yes. and we communicate with them. They're not going, what the heck is this? Yeah. yeah. What, is, what is this? Some firms, as you know, we keep our time on everything. And then when the bill comes around, if we don't like, I don't like, we think this looks a little petty. No charge, no charge, no charge. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of firms now go, did some stuff, talked about some stuff, talked to other people about some stuff, $28,200. That's it. They don't, they don't, they don't break down. <laughs> what? Because they don't, because they, they can't. Right. I think it's really important <clears throat> to document your time well so your client knows you know, where you've spent your time. I, I think that's a huge. Well, and as, an, and as an owner, so I know where the profit center is. Right. True. Okay, because we do, of course, we do contingent work. Mm-hmm. I can't gauge the success of a case when it's over, except to look back and see how much we've invested in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so that's why, as tedious as some people think it is, um, we keep time on everything. Contingent cases, keep time because I want to know when it's done. Did I make a profit or did I just, for five years, trade money? Or did I spend too much money on discovery? Sure. Did I? Yeah, I think that's a really good way so you learn how to budget your your case as well. Yeah. So Kevin, what do you like about working in a smaller firm? What's some advantages to an early career attorney? Oh, I think for me, because I was set early on on actually getting into a courtroom, being able to do something beyond just, you know, drafting blogs and things of that sort, I was always told that the best opportunity to do that as quickly as possible would be through a smaller size firm right. where, you know, a trial attorney's firm or plaintiff's lawyer's firm where you could get an opportunity to experience a lot of different things. So I think that from a career, um, from a from a desired endpoint for your career, I think that's one of the more um, easily recognizable benefits just from that point of view. But I think from a developmental perspective, you quickly, and I tell you guys this all the time, develop to be more than just colleagues in a firm that's got, you know, 10, 12 lawyers in the building. That's I mean, really you become like really yeah. a family almost because I spend more yeah. time with you guys than I spend <laughs> with anybody else in my life. You know, I, I spend close to, you know, 67 hours. I spend 67 hours a week with, with these people. So it's like, if you get it, if you do it right and you choose the right firm. How many hours a week? 60 to 70. But James, I'm with James oh my from God. Well, seven. I, I don't yeah. talk about the bromance. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't count. They already <laughs> slip. Every episode, we oh have to talk about God. their working oh, out. Oh, whatever. <laughs> you know, and you can see it on Kevin's Instagram if you're interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's practically a personal trainer. Yeah. Oh. But no, I mean, it's just that you, you develop quickly friends and people that you really can confide and trust in. And obviously that, that spills over to being able to talk to them 
pretty freely because as a young attorney, you got questions. You're like, golly, I'm gonna ask this stupid question. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, but I, I know. think I just did that today. You know I walked I mean? in Kevin's <laughs> office and James was there. I was like, I got a really dumb question to ask, but I need it answered. <laughs> yeah, and so I like that. You know, it just makes you feel more comfortable to ask questions, learn. You can be more curious with mm-hmm. your intellectual development and in that in this kind of firm. So, those are the benefits that I find as a young lawyer, at least, um, from being at a smaller size firm. How about you, James? What have you enjoyed? I agree with that. I mean, the yeah. close relationship, although depending upon the law firm you're at, it could be good or bad. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, you, you got to find of, the right fit. A lot of personalities here. It's been a great mm-hmm. thing. Um, experience, uh, FaceTime with clients. That's something you don't get at a bigger law firm. And that takes practice. That's you know, right. you have to do it to to be better at mm-hmm. it. And sure. if you can't do, if you're not getting those opportunities to do, you're never going to grow and improve. When I remember, you know, being still a 3L in in law school and coming back and practicing in the summer and a mediation coming up and Gary's like, "Hey, I'm going to let you handle this mediation. It should take you, you know, maybe 30 minutes to prepare for." I probably spent three days preparing <laughs> for that mediation, but but that experience that a lot of people, you know, especially the first five, maybe even ten years of their yeah. career, they don't even get. Right. Um, so that that is that is a, a benefit. But last, I would say just areas of practice at a small law firm, especially you do a lot. Well, with with Gary too, yeah. he's going to let you do anything you want to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's an area of practice, an area of law that you're intrigued by, interested in, at a small law firm, you can you can take on that opportunity. Versus big, you know, big firms, you're probably going to create a niche, mm-hmm. right? And, Rabbit and, hole, and and that's where you're going to stick for the rest of your career unless you leave. So. Yeah. No, that's that's one percent accurate. Well, but one of the roles of a supervising attorney is to make sure with the things they say they want to do. Like when Mr. Little John walked in my office <laughs> and said, "Hey, hey, you said I could do what I wanted to do, right?" <laughs> yeah, I'm going to defend a first degree murder case. I went, no, you're not. We talked about that. You know, no, not you're by okay. yourself, you're not. No, no, not by yourself, you're not. And so, anyway, that, but, 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 mm. but, yes. And then he took on that and awful case. And I think they got relative for the client, relative to what the potential outcome could have been. They got a good result mm-hmm. for in an awful, awful, awful case. So I do want lawyers who are ambitious, right? Right. And I think, you know, for me, it's just been to make sure I have the proper support. If I feel like I have the proper support, then I can spread my wings and give something a try because I'm always going to have that person. Will you take a look over this contract and make sure that I haven't missed something that I should have called? I think that's important. Well, this is the part of the Zealous Advocate where we like to talk about big cases we have on our radar. Um, James, do you have any big cases you, you're thinking about? I, I roll my eyes because, you know, for oh, I know what you about for, to talk about. for two episodes, guys. Oh, I, I student Talked loans. about the, the, the student <laughs> relief fund, what the Supreme Court's going to do with it. Mm. Everyone has probably seen Broke or heard. Heart. Uh, it was it was it was turned down, Kevin. It's not, not going to happen. So if any did of he you, predict that they wouldn't? No, no, I, 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 we were no. just praying. Really, uh, we were just okay. hopeful. Is this we were ten thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. ten just, to twenty thousand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So, so you know, I, I no offense, 
Gary, I, I had, you know, I was ambitious that maybe I'd get to retire a year or two early with that $20,000, I would say, but that's out the door. So nah, um, well, that was unfortunate. I had twins when I was 38, so I know I'm working until like age 99 no. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have one on my my radar, and it was, um, uh, let's see, Groff Feed to Joy, and it really talked about when um, a company can deny religious accommodations. And this mm-hmm. was huge in the healthcare yeah. industry with all of these uh, vaccinations that were required during the pandemic. And the court, the Supreme Court decided to change the standard a little bit. And they said that employers can no longer justify denial of religious accommodations based on a mere creation of more than a de minimis cost. Mm-hmm. And instead, they have to show that accommodation would result in a substantial increased cost in relation to the conduct of the company's particular business. So that's mm. a big change that nobody really knows what the court means there. They didn't give any any examples, but all we know is that there's a higher threshold that a company has to look at in order to deny religious accommodations. Well, I, I find that consistent with the hypocrisy that this court has already shown. Here we go. Well, in some of the decisions that they already have made and Mm -hmm. and and during that same term of court decisions that they made that the business owner, you know, who 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 did not want to serve a gay couple. That she had an absolute right. Mm -hmm. Now, yet employers What's that all about? I mean, you know, again, it, this is a court that has not been very fond of civil liberties. Yes, yeah. I was mm-hmm. surprising. Mm-hmm. For okay, me so here. so for them to have reached that decision in the face of the announcement and pronouncement, you know, we we we've been litigating a case about Title IX and the court warning what it was going to do when the right opportunity came up to basically say, oh no, you can't recover emotional distress damages. For Title IX violations, it's preposterous. I think so. Anyway, I, I just I just find that opinion to be consistent with the hypocrisy that the current majority of the U.S. Supreme Court is willing to demonstrate, and I, that'll be another reason why they'll never let me come up there and argue. I've tried. I've asked them. I've asked them many times. Hey, will you let me come up to the U.S. Supreme Court and argue? But they they won't let they me. They keep Gary, turning you down, Gary. I got this question. What what's the fix, especially with you know, the ju- judicial system as a whole, what is the fix? I know you're on the Judicial Integrity Committee. I would assume that, you know, a bipartisan type judicial system comes up a lot. I mean, is, is that the fix? How, how do we how do we ensure that especially every yeah. every vote that, or every opinion that comes out, if you have a conservative court, it's not six six to three every time. How how do we fix that? You got to fix it from the ground up, mm. and here's what I mean by that. Um, I have been fortunate to serve on the Judicial Independence and Integrity Committee of the North Carolina Bar Association, surrounded by some incredible members, current, former of the judiciary. Judicial independence and integrity is the cornerstone, according to Hamilton, of our democracy. Right. Now, Hamilton, in the Federalist Papers, pushed back at the notion 
that there shouldn't be an independent judiciary that wasn't beholden to public emotion. And he said, no, 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 no. They have to be. That's the reason why the federal judiciary serves for life. They're supposed to be above the political fray. All right, fast forward to 2023. Mm. In North Carolina, we elect our judges in partisan judicial races. Mm-hmm. Next, we appoint the federal bench based on who's in control of the White House. Yeah. yeah. And maybe who's in control of the Senate. Right? Right. So we have come full circle. Absolutely. From what Alexander Hamilton thought. Mm-hmm. So what's the fix? Well, first, in North Carolina, we've got to do away with partisan judicial elections, period. When, when, when partisan judicial elections went away before they came back five, six years ago, seven years ago, everybody on both sides of the aisle agreed that partisan politics has no place in the courtroom. Right. Now, but now, holy cow. Look at some of the political ads that were run during the last statewide elections mm-hmm. and what a disgrace that some of them were to the judiciary. Look at what court uh, candidates, look at what they're forced to address now. Uh, hey, Judge Schmo, uh, what do you think about right to life? And if you don't answer that question, if you don't get it right, according to you, you, right, right. then you're not going to get elected because you're not going to get anointed. Mm -hmm. Okay. With, with the political tag that you need to have, if you can't answer those questions. Right. Okay. So now nationally, you've heard former speaker Pelosi just last week said, we need to have term limits on the Supreme court. Yeah. I'd have to go sit by Alexander Hamilton's grave and say, "Hey, what do you think about that?" Right. That I know that flies in the face of everything you almost died for Mm -hmm. in your quest for judicial independence and integrity. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to go that far. Agreed. I just think, as a culture, we've got to stop. The partisan nature of what happens in courts, period. Or we've got to stop having expectations that our political beliefs will somehow translate into what happens in a court of law. We've got to stop that. Uh, And the way we stop that is by stopping the issuance of opinions from appellate courts that look like what they are, and that is political. Yeah. I mean, the Dobbs decision just really was a, a way it should have been a wake up call for for everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that one really as a woman, that one hit me hard. Well, look, in the dark ages, when I was in law school, they taught about this thing called starry mm-hmm. decisis. Yep. OK, that I mean, the, forget that. Yep. And and even even in, in state appellate courts in North Carolina appellate courts. The concept of stare decisis is dead. It's whatever we feel at the moment. The majority of us on this 
appellate panel. It's whatever we feel at the moment, and we'll write it. And starry, sorry, you're dead. <laughs> oh, I'm putting that on a T-shirt. Starry, sorry. Starry, sorry. <laughs> Kevin, how about you? Do you have a big case, or do you just want to well, talk about one of your cases? I, I don't want to talk about my cases. I actually wanted to, to, to dive a little deeper and get your opinions on we talked about it, and, and James is kind of getting into it with, with uh, District Attorney Ben David. We had the episode last week where the affirmative action decision um, came down from the Supreme Court, and I thought that was a, a pretty frustrating decision. I, I enjoyed reading Justice Jackson's dissent, and we talked about sort of the back and forth over the jurisprudential years over this issue. And so I kind of wanted to speak with you about that and, and sort of just get your opinion with respect to sort of the progeny of cases mm -hmm. that led us to the ruling from last week from the, well, from the I Supreme guess Court. what I struggle with in that decision is that, you know, in the cases leading up to it, it was signaling that it, that the court really wanted at some point affirmative action to sunset. Right. Mm -hmm. So what would that point have looked like to you, Kevin, because I'm just I'm struggling with was it serving the goal that it was, you know, originally put in place for at this time? Or is there a different intervention that's needed for me? What, what would be the sunset? Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be very difficult for me, at least from a when is it's based upon equality, mm -hmm. pretty much, and sort of the years of oppression that the African-American community faced, but not only faced, but had to deal with the residual impact of. And so I think that what I would be looking for, and I don't know when that would be, would be a closing or, or a, a tightening of the gap between, you know, the numbers and the disenfranchised, lower income, left out, forgotten mm -hmm. members and minority members of our community. Right. And those that have had, you know, generational access to educational institutions, financial institutions, um, you know, just the, the things that a lot of minority communities didn't originally have access to. So once that gap began, I think to, you know, I, I don't think it would ever just disappear, but at least narrow, then, you know, you can then begin be saying, the is the sun you. starting to set? And then I'm not sure the sun will completely set on the need to address the discrimination that my communities of color face in America. Well, it has set. Oh yeah, okay. it right. is. It is set. It's mm. dark. Yeah, mm -hmm. as Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, twenty three years ago, said, that there will come a point in time mm -hmm. where the reasons behind this will no longer exist. Mm. She said twenty five years. I've been twenty three now. As a former member of the board of trustees of my alma mater, Public University. I know kids that would never have had the opportunity to attend the University of North Carolina at Wilmington, where they succeeded, mm -hmm. had it not been for efforts at yeah. diversity and inclusion. Now, but this gets back to the point. We are in a different day and time, boys and girls, Okay, where we just we have our state legislature. Mm -hmm debating, and they're going to pass it, that prohibits talking about diversity and inclusion. I was going to go there next. So what are, they, yeah. I was about that. are they going to try to get rid of all those positions that 
Oh sure, state schools, oh, we're not and state agencies. Oh sure, and right, exactly. Like DEI well, coordinators because we can't talk about that. Uh, well, and, okay. and large corporations are starting to wonder: Can we have those initiatives? Well, now? I mean, our alma mater, mm-hmm. uh, law school. Dean Leonard has really worked hard on diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Okay, yet mm-hmm. twenty four hours after that opinion came out, he and 199 other law school deans in the United States got a nasty gram from Stephen Miller. Look him up. He is a former member of the Trump administration, you know, seedy kind of guy. Stephen, sue me. Please sue me by calling you seedy. <laughs> Sent out a letter to all 200 law schools in the United States saying, you've been warned. We will sue you. If you use race as any factor in your decisions, you've been warned, his terms. Now, that's where we are, right? We have this, I don't know why some politicians use wokeness. No, 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 that's you guys, okay? Where you suddenly awoke to the idea of the pattern of discrimination that has been the history of some, not all, in this country, you've woke up to it and you don't want anybody else to hear about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you're embarrassed I mean, by just it. Just look, 4% of, of lawyers, you know, black females, I think, I think I have this stat right, mm-hmm. but I'm sorry if I'm getting it slightly off. Only 4% of attorneys are black females. How do you improve that without a DI? you know, a, a diversity and inclusion program or some sort of, you know, way to address that. I just don't know. And, and Kevin, you know, mm-hmm. we talk about this. Representation does matter. Agree. You know, so how do you change that? I'm just, I'm at a loss for how we, we go about improving the situation now. Agree. Well, and you're going to see, given that they've hit admission policies, the natural extension of that is going to be with employment policy. That's what I was about to say. No, it's coming, especially oh, yes. in go- government employment policies, because mm-hmm. as you know right now, there are mandates with certain government contracts that you get X percent minority business-owned participation. Exactly. Yeah. All right? Well, hey, we're woke now. Yeah. Okay? We've, we don't need to do that anymore. Right, because that violates that white business owners mm-hmm. more experienced mm-hmm. by depriving him or her of the opportunity at this project because they're better qualified. And the only reason why this company X got it is because their owner was a minority. Mm-hmm. No, that violates the Constitution. You can't do that. It's coming. I agree. It's coming. Mm. Crazy I'd like times. To, I'd like to shift gears just a little bit, and, and let's focus on, you know, I really want you to talk about, Gary, some you're getting really more involved in mass torts, and I just find, personally, I find it a you know, fascinating area. First, for our viewer, could you really explain what a mass tort case is? It's a mess. I was to say, I was, <laughs> yeah. you find it fascinating. I read the summary he wrote. I was like, look. Oh. <laughs> uh, A mass tort involves typically a product, uh, a single defendant, in which there are multiple claimants located all over the United States who are targeting a single defendant or defendants. Now, um, 
what typically happens is that once a series of cases are filed against a particular defendant, uh, one or more of the parties will ask that those cases and others who come behind them be consolidated for discovery, pretrial stuff before a single judge. A panel of United States District Court judges makes that decision. Should this case, these claimants, these cases, should they be assigned to a single judge? Uh, Once that is done, then a single judge presides not only on the cases that are filed, but the cases that will be filed. Now, I have been in and out of mass torts really my entire career. I've chosen not to be involved for no particular reasons other than I've had plenty of other things to stimulate me. Okay? And being involved in mass torts is political. It's not just legal. It's political. And one of the things that I can get pretty frustrated about is the politics of trying to represent my clients. Right? Politics don't play a part in it now. Shouldn't. But because of some of my friends, dear friends, that are involved in mass torts who over the years have said, man, Shipman, there's a place for you, man. There's a place for you. You know, come on. And then here comes the Camp Lejeune Justice Act of 2022. And for more than 20 years, I had heard from people all over the United States that had consumed contaminated drinking water and had stillbirths or had their oh. wife die, just whatever. Okay, oh, had heard it, but yeah. couldn't do anything about it. Um, so I said to myself, self, this is right here in your backyard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a pretty confident guy. <laughs> There's nobody alive more qualified than you to help these people. There's certainly plenty of lawyers out there as qualified, but there's nobody alive more qualified than you. So get out there. Mm -hmm. Well, I did. We did. We are. And what that led to is, okay, what besides Camp Lejeune flips your switch, Shipman? (laughs) And I tell this story, and please indulge me, especially given it's my office. Uh, (laughs) The idea notion that I understand complex scientific stuff amazes my 93-year-old high school biology teacher (laughs) because when she was my advisor in ninth grade, and she said, hey, what do you want to do? One of my good friends, his daddy was a doctor, and they lived in a really nice house. And then, of course, I knew the lawyer thing. I knew the coach thing. So I said, Yeah, a doctor. And she said, Well, you need to give that one up because you're not (laughs) even going to pass high school biology. (laughs) So just cross that one off the list. So, what I do typically with any case, especially the complex scientific case, which I've done with Paraquat and now done with hair straightener, Mm -hmm. I will go in my office at the end of the hall and I'll close the door. And I don't know how, how long, James. I might not come out for a long time. A mm, couple days at yeah, least. Right, I mean, right. We may we see you Friday. Oh, I right, right, right. <laughs> and I will read 
everything that's available on Google Scholar. I would have been a doctor had mm-hmm. Google Scholar been available to me, but it wasn't. And to understand, because lawyers, if you're taking on a case involving science and you're not willing to understand the science, then go search deeds for a living. Yes. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. No, if you because you can't if you don't understand the science, you can't communicate it to the decision makers. Be they a judge or a jury, you can't. So. I took the time to understand the science involving Paraquat. I've taken the time to understand the continued evolution of the science in the hair straightener litigation. Um, we have a role that we can play, and we're going to play it. And, and, and because I think it's a great supplement to the business model that we already have, right? Right. Uh, it, it is going to take a tremendous amount of effort on our part, my part, but none, nobody here, certainly at this table, shies away from a challenge. No, mm. I, I, um, I really enjoy them because I do enjoy the science behind it. My first degree is in zoology, Golly, which is that's a 10th time you said that. A life that science. Zoology degree. It's now very you, important, Kevin. Zoology? Yeah, you passed no. high school biology, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I bet you did. I did. <laughs> Um, so I really, I in fact, just the other day, printed out all the research on chemical hair straightener. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm ready to go, Gary, ready to go. James, tell me this. The experts in these cases are, are extremely important. And number one, explain why they're so important. And second, explain what makes a great expert. I, I would say just initially, Gary's going to give a lot more detail on this, given he is I mean, he's talking to every expert possible in any mass tort case that we're in. And the people that he finds is incredible, but it's going to make or break your case, ultimately. I mean, these these are the individuals that have to opine to the causation of whatever the injuries are. So if you don't have the right people with the right experience as your experts, I promise you the other side will. Um, so, so you better take your time, you better do your due diligence and Gary does an impeccable job making sure the people, especially that we hire, that we retain are, are the top of the class. I mean, nationwide of whatever their area of practice is. Um, so I, I mean, you provide more feedback, but well, you know, to James's point, our opposition is always able to spend a lot of money to hire people. Okay. Next, you can get the well-worn experts, mm. meaning, hey, Gary, what do you want me to say? Yeah, I can say that. Just pay me. Yeah. I don't want those. I want the experts that aren't in the litigation arena, maybe, maybe occasionally. I want the ones that are out there on the front line of research, mm-hmm. of practice. Well, how do you find them? Google Scholar. I'm giving away I'm giving away secrets. Gold. Million dollars worth of game. Well, because, gold. because you're pulling up all yeah. their articles and their their communicate their, their, how you can contact them is there. Yes. And I can't tell you just how many times out of the blue I have found an article. And I'm like, ah, here's Dr. Schmo at you know whatever. Hey, Dr. Schmo, I'm this dumb lawyer in Wilmington, North Carolina, and I've read your article on a case, and I'm like, would you be so kind as to take five minutes and talk to me about it? Like, 
wow, he read my article, a lawyer <laughs> read my article, and I get him hooked, and then I get him on the phone, and I tell him that cute story about my ninth grade biology teacher, and they, ah, and, you know, and they're in, you know, they're so, in. and they are so important. They are the credibility of your case, because when the other side sees who you've lined up, oh, ooh, they're for real. Right. The, the, the lawyers are for real. Because they've back, they backed up what they've put in writing in their pleading with one of the best experts in the world on this issue. Because so they can't be but so wrong, and we can't be but so right when we hire somebody. Right, because it's their reputation on the line. Oh, absolutely. So they're not just going to take a case. Most of the really, really um, great experts that they don't stand behind. And I find it's not always the smartest person. It can be, but it's the one that can talk to the jury and explain to them the science at a level where they can digest it. I think that is just key for a great That's why we like the academics, right? Mm -hmm. We go after the academics because they're teaching every day. And that's what going before a jury is. You're going to teach the jury about this very complex issue. And mm-hmm. one of the things I think I'm pretty good at is asking questions that sound pretty simple and eliciting a response that may not sound simple, but it's informative enough where the jury understands it. Right. That's that. That's the, 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 there is an art and science to dealing with experts that Absolutely. is breaking down and making it understandable for the average person. Yeah. And being able to, to wrestle with. The opposing counsel in depositions, because I've had some experts in depositions that I was like, maybe you weren't the right person for this job because it seems as if someone can easily, you know, persuade you to agree with something that if you had another expert, they they would. A great expert, I think, can deal with the fact that there are always exceptions to their conclusion, but they can minimize the reasonability. Right. Of that, of that exception. And in this case, with mm-hmm. you know this person, age yeah. you know twelve that has uterine cancer. I mean, yeah, I, I you, mean they got really have to be able to. to I like a quick it. thinking expert in a deposition that can just smooth. Well, I was going to say what's great, like when Gary reaches out to these experts and they agree to speak with them, they don't realize that they're about to be cross-examined oh, <laughs> and that it's actually an interview process because when he gets on the phone with, you know, these individuals. Well, you got to challenge them now. No, that's right. Yeah. But it's, you know, that's the that's the immediate, you know, reputation that he has with these experts is, hey, look, I'm going to I'm gonna mm. see where the holes are in your opinions, in your history, whatever it is. That way you can prepare for it. Or you can say this isn't the right expert for us, yeah. Yeah. especially in the mass tort realm where it's going to be, it's so make or important. break. That's make right. or break. Yes. Well, and one of the things that we do is once we elicit their opinions, we say, all right, pretend that I'm the other side and I hired you. How are you going to defend this case? Tell me. How would you defend it? And when you see them like start to think like, oh, whoa, I might not be able to. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, all right, man, I'm like, no, no. Use your most creative imagination. How are you going to defend this case? And they tell us. So we're not surprised when the expert on the other side comes up with their theory because we've already heard it from our own expert and our own expert is prepared to address it before the other side's expert is even opined. gold. What did Sherry Belts tell us on the very first episode? Put your money in preparing your witness for deposition. Do you ever get into the expert game where you're retaining experts and retaining consulting experts just to preclude 
the other side for absolutely. being absolutely really. <laughs> I always just wonder, like, how does that work? Like, people just oh, absolutely just yeah. to, just to shut the door on somebody else, just to retain or list them as a consulting expert. Well, well, no, well, maybe it's <laughs> that I'm so enamored uh-huh. with who they are. That I know that if they showed up on the other side of the case for me, I'd be as enamored. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, strategy. I'll I'll figure out later what I'm going to do with this expert. <laughs> right now, I'm going to put him on my team. <laughs> <laughs> the shipman way, ladies. <laughs> that's, that, that's right. and, then, and then I'll figure out what position they're going to play yeah. <laughs> once I draft the team. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Fair. Well, we're coming to the end of our time, but we always like to end with something fun, Gary. So we're going to do presidential <laughs> trivia right quick. It's gonna oh, be a Kevin. Kevin. All right, let's cue our music, Gary. Tom. Do Bryce, we have can, some? Can, can I phone a friend? Can I phone Bryce? <laughs> no, no, no okay. phone well, a friend. Can this be a Kevin against Gary? I'm oh, I'm horrible. Oh, I would love that. I'm I'm probably well, okay. Let me just get my thinking cap on. I'm too. I'm. How many, how many yeah. questions is it? Is it two or three or three? We got three. Let's do five. Can you get five? Uh, we'll figure something out. Right. Five. Kevin always wants more. I Four never give enough But if I get the first three, is it? It's over. It's over. All right, here we go. List in order mm. the five persons in line of succession to the presidents. See. Vice President, Senate Tim Poor, uh, Speaker of the House, Secretary of State. Ah. Uh, it's not in order. It is. No. VP. Ah. It's Gary's turn. It mm. ain't the first lady. Gary. All right, let me hear what he got to say. If it ain't the VP, then, 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 then it's some. In the line of succession? Right. In order. <clears throat> what did I say? VP. Mm-hmm. Say that. Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> it, that's wrong. It is not that way. The oh. Senate pro temp is first. Oh. Uh, Tom, you don't get to say anything back there, Tom. <laughs> oh, here we go again. Tom, Tom so then, so then it's, it's, it, they flip those and then. Yes, yeah. Yeah. right. And then you were otherwise right. <laughs> they put that Speaker of the House before the Senate pro temp. Yes. Yeah. It's the people's house. Right. Tom, you don't. You better say yeah, what? No, Mr. Peterson. Mr. Peterson knew the answer to that question. That one. Dang, was, I'm over one. We're giving that one to Gary. I'm over one. Yeah. You wouldn't know where you'd be. Well, look, it, it's 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 the reason that our friends on the R side were just like having just cardiac events at the notion Nancy Pelosi could be mm. president. Mm-hmm. Okay, because mm. they weren't going to have that, and she was closer to it than yeah, Mitch. Mitch. Dang, All I right. thought it was the other way. Okay. Here's a neat, here's a softball for oh, you, easy and Kevin. Money. Easy money. Name the only president born on the Fourth of July. Jesus mm. Christ, Thomas Jefferson. Ah. He died on July fifth. Then. What you got, Gary? 4th. Andrew Johnson or Andrew Jackson? It's one of the two. Oh, it's Calvin Coolidge. Woo! Well, who Woo! cares about Calvin Coolidge? <laughs> hey, that's is he still even listed as a president? <laughs> Sorry, Coolidge family. But, you know, come on, it didn't. End, it didn't end well. It did not. It did not end. Are well. you re- Are you really writing down who, the ones? I'm just about the get? questions and the ones I can't write. That's incredible. Okay. okay, here we go. Next one. This is this is this is the last one. This is the last one? Yeah. Okay. Okay. On what occasion did Franklin Roosevelt proclaim that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself? Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. Yes. His first inaugural address. Oh, sorry. I Why thought, was he saying that? Was it, was it when what? Well, was World War II. Yeah. What you're, was the date of it? You're asking me things 30, I don't um, know. 
It had to been December. It couldn't have been. When was the end of beginning? If it's a lie, they told it. (laughs) No, understand. He had to inherit the depression. Yeah. He had to inherit the world. Really, was already at war. We weren't in it. We had come out of World War One, but he saw what was going on and the naked aggression that was going on with Hitler in Europe. Right. The only thing we have to fear. Is fear itself. Oh, look, Tom's there pulling it up. There we go. Tom, did you know 1933? that? 1933? Yes. Oh. Tom yep. knew that. We need to start. Tom, you need to be part of this process. No, that's not fair. Tom can't, Tom can't forget it because he'd, know, he'd be like, like Bryce. Bryce. He knows yeah. everything. That's right. So. Speaking of Tom, he's really behind the scenes, the, the uh, master that makes this whole thing work. Well, Gary... Thank you for coming to your podcast. Well, thank you for <laughs> thank you. finally having Sorry, me. You know, you, look, you can tell the relative lack of importance that I feel about myself that, you know, I, Ben David got in here before I did. Now, we I, took your charge. Gary said to us, he said, young people, I'm not going to live forever. Go out and do something. No, he said, be a dog. Be a dog. That's, be what, a I, dog. that's what I needed. Right. Be, be a, a dog, dog, James. So we did it, Gary. Thank you, well, for, thank you. for pushing us. Thank you. Um, everyone, thank you for watching another episode of the Zealous Advocate Podcast. Go to Spotify, hit the bell, and follow us and join us for the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Zealous Advocate Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to follow us wherever you get your podcasts.